grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I resist going to the doctor. And for the longest time, I don't think I really understood why. It wasn't because of my doctor. We've got a good doctor here in town. Many of you go to him, Dr. Anhalt. Good guy. Always enjoy going to him. You know, can kind of get the gossip around town whenever I visit. It's great. I'm happy to go to that doctor. So I wonder, why is it? There's the cost factor. There's the, all these different things that go into it. Of course, it's kind of stereotypical because I'm a guy that I would resist going to the doctor. But I'm not alone, especially not alone as a guy. In fact, listen to this. A recent survey by the Cleveland Clinic found that only half of the 1,200 adult men surveyed said that they get regular checkups. And 72% said that they would rather do household chores, such as cleaning the bathroom or picking up the dog poop, than go see the doctor. Keep that in mind, ladies, next time you need some work done around the house. But it's not just guys. Further research shows that a quarter of all Americans will skip their annual checkup because they just don't want to see their physician. What's up with that? I resist it too. And so it's with some trepidation that I come to this morning's gospel. When here we have Jesus comparing himself to, not some of these other images that we're familiar with, not a shepherd, not a, a farmer, a sower of seeds, not even calling himself a king, but here, here he is, a doctor, the great physician. I think, oh no, we hear of Jesus this way and it's just going to create that natural sense of, of trepidation, of wanting to resist coming to our Lord Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is to reflect on this metaphor of medicine of Jesus as the great physician. I want to think of some points of correspondence between Jesus's ministry and, if you will, the ministry of doctors, the care that they give. I want to think of some of those points of comparison to illuminate our Lord's work for you and me, but also, and even more so, so that we would not resist him, but gratefully go to him again and again and again. So let's think about some of the ways that doctors are like our great doctor, our great physician, our Lord Jesus. Well, one thing that comes to mind is that doctors, good doctors, should be judgment neutral, be kind of selectively blind, if you will. And what I mean by that is when someone goes to the doctor, it's not the doctor's job to say, you know what, you really got to stop making these bonehead decisions. If you would stop hanging out with all the gangsters, you wouldn't be getting shot so much, right? His job when you come there is to care for you, right? It's whatever, whatever has brought you here, the doctor is just glad that you came because you need the care. That's the initial role. Whatever boneheaded or even sinful decisions that you have made, the doctor's first job is just to help. And so also when it comes to our Lord Jesus, and you know what? This is what often got him into hot water. It's what got him into trouble with the religious people. Because Jesus was receiving anyone and everyone without reservation, without any probation. There wasn't a probationary period like, okay, let's see if you can clean up your act and then I'll let you come and follow me. Be one of my disciples. We don't see that from our Lord Jesus. Instead, he's receiving anyone and everyone. Mercenaries, zealots. He's receiving people that look like moral degenerates to those around them. Any and all, even children, okay? Now you think, well, of course he received children. Like we heard that gospel. Of course he wants the little ones to come to him. But perhaps you noticed the disciples were like, ah, keep them away. 
Because in that culture, children were regarded and uh, viewed as being ones who you didn't want to have anything to do with. They were useless. They were helpless. Jesus, why would you want children even to come to you? But he receives any and all, even Matthew, a tax collector, a traitor to the cause as he was regarded by people at that time. How could he receive one like him? And so the religious people are grumbling. Look at your master, this rabbi, he receives tax collectors and sinners and eats with them. He shows such profound table fellowship, opportunity to visit with them. How could he? But Jesus is the great physician. And so he says to them, listen, guys, it's not those who are well who need a doctor. It's those who are sick. He's asking, in effect, a question to them and to us. The question is this. How healthy do you have to be to go see the doctor? How healthy do you have to be to go see the doctor? Well, of course, to ask the question is to answer it, right? You go to see the doctor not because of your health, but because of your lack of it. Jesus hasn't come to give a hand up to basically good people. He has come in order to rescue those who are desperately sick, those who are dead, who cannot help themselves. And so this notion that, well, he's going to, to help the basically good people is deadly. It was deadly then, it's deadly still to us today. We need to recognize and realize that, that Jesus has come not for those who are well, but for those who are sick. The only thing that can separate you and me from our Savior is not any amount of sickness, of sinfulness, of silliness. The only thing that can separate us from him is a refusal to acknowledge that we are sick. To think or to act as though we have it so all together that I don't need a savior. Why would I bother going to him? Because I'm basically a good, righteous person. That's the only thing that's going to keep you from your great physician. Instead, we acknowledge that we are sick, we are sinful, that we are desperately in need of him, not once, but always. And know, though, that when you come to this great physician who refuses none, who receives all without reservation or probation, know that when you come to him, the prescription might be painful. And this is the second point of comparison that I want to lift up. The first is that Jesus, as the great physician, is, is judgment neutral, selectively blind, so to speak, receives anyone and everyone without question. But then, having received you, then, as the great physician, that healing might hurt a little bit. Isn't that the case for doctors? I mean, they take the Hippocratic Oath. You guys know what the Hippocratic Oath is? First, do no what? Harm. Sometimes when you go to the doctor, you're like, do you remember that one? Stop poking me with all sorts of things. That hurts, right? But you know what? Sometimes healing is going to hurt. They need to set the broken bone. They need to lance that wound. It hurts. Sometimes they need to give you hard words to call for you to change. If you don't stop eating all that red meat, you're not going to live to see your next birthday. So things that we don't want to hear. Sometimes the healing hurts. And likewise, when it comes to the lordship of our Lord Jesus, he receives anyone and everyone. He receives you as you are. But as is often said, he doesn't want to leave you as you are. 
He wants to bring you along, to help you to grow, to heal more and more into the likeness of himself. That's his purpose. That's his goal. And so he summons us to separate from the sources of our sickness. The biblical word for this is repentance, right? To turn away from our sin and to turn toward our Savior, the great physician, the only one who has any hope for health or healing. We need to look to him again and again and again. It's a healing that sometimes hurts. If you look at the, the cover of your worship folder, this is illustrated, depicted by the artist Caravaggio. He does a painting of this moment when Jesus calls Matthew, that great and grievous tax collector, this horrible sinner. Jesus receives even him. But I want you to, to notice one little thing. I realize it's dark, but I want to draw your attention to a particular detail that the artist picks up on that I think is true to the call of our Lord Jesus. Matthew is that guy in the middle wearing the fancy outfits. You know, Renaissance artists were always doing this. They would depict biblical characters as though they were living in like 16th century Germany, right? But anyway, so there's Matthew in the middle, the tax collector, and he's pointing that finger to himself. Because at first, he can't believe this amazing grace of the Lord. What? You would call even me to come and follow you? Oh, yes, Jesus! But with his other hand, you might see... He's still got it on the pile of coins. <laughs> He's still looking to hold on to his cash, that sign and symbol of his past life as a tax collector, as a trader, as a thief even. And I think Caravaggio depicts that because this is the moment for all of us as we follow Jesus. Again, not just once, but over and over again. As we even heard in the catechism lesson this morning, that he calls us to a daily contrition, a daily separation from our sin, to leave that pile of coins behind, to leave the things that used to be so near and dear to us, those things that we used to, to base our identity and value and worth on, to separate ourselves from those things, to separate ourselves from our sin, and to seek to follow him, to live lives of obedience to our Lord Jesus. It's painful many times. And why is it painful? Well, listen, if it hurts to have a broken bone be set, how much more to have a broken heart be bound up? But this is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine, that now, having been received by our Lord Jesus, he's conforming you more and more to the likeness of himself, and he will not give up. What's his timetable on this? How soon will he do it? Well, he's got your whole lifetime, right? He's not in a hurry. It goes for yourself, and I'll say this too. It goes for others as well. I think as, as believers especially, we're so prone to want to rush the timetable on other sinners and say, why aren't you yet where I think you should be? Not our job. Not our job. What is our job? What's our calling? What's our summons within the body of Christ with respect to one another? It's continually to lead each other, to point each other back to the great physician. To say, have you gotten your regular checkup with our Lord? Because he is the only one who is able to bring health and healing. It's what we do for others. It's what we do for ourselves. Returning to him over and over again, knowing that his goal for you and me is good. And what is that goal? His goal is not that you would remain sick. His goal is not that you would just stay a poor, miserable sinner and just be content with that. His goal for you is much more. I think of a, a doctor that our family had when we were out in California. And uh, good Dr. Doug, 
he was a little bit goofy, I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes we would see him around town and he would always be wearing these really tight shorts, uncomfortably tight shorts. Remember this? Hey, Doc, with like a big blousey shirt. He was weird, okay? Unconventional in many ways, but he was a great doctor. He was a great doctor. He would listen to us. He would even pray with us. But one of the things that he said to me that always stuck out with me, he'd say this, Ryan, I care about you, and that's why I don't want to see you very often. I care about you, and that's why I don't want to see you very often. Because sometimes you get an impression from doctors that they're happy to just keep you sick, right? Just keep coming, and you can get really cynical about that. But for Dr. Doug, anyway, his goal was unequivocal, your health, that you'd be well. I don't want to see you very often, because my goal is that you'd be good, that you'd be whole, that you'd be healthy. Jesus shares that goal for you and me. He shares that goal, that we would be healthy and whole in spirit, soul, and body. He shares that goal. He differs on the strategy, right? He doesn't say to you and me, all right, I don't want to see you very often because I want you to be well. But just the opposite, the way that we are well, counterintuitively, when it comes to our great physician, is to come to him regularly, constantly, daily. Go to him again and again and again. And in so doing, he is making us more and more like himself. He is making us healthy and whole. And he means that eternally in the resurrection of the dead when he was going to finally do it in full. But even in this life, even in this life, his goal for you is health. And I'll just say this, as Lutherans, I think sometimes we get a little uncomfortable about this. We don't talk about how God actually desires to, to heal us, not only in soul, but also in body. But ultimately, that's where he's going. And it's okay, it's okay to pray for healing of your body now. It's okay to receive the anointing of oil, to ask God, help me. Because every healing in this life, physical healing, is just a foretaste of the resurrection of the body when you will receive that full healing. It's okay to pray for that, to ask for that, to seek it and desire it. But even if he doesn't give it in this lifetime, still our great physician, he feeds and nurtures and nourishes you and me over and over again. When we come to this table, an ancient name for the Lord's Supper is that it was the medicine of immortality. The medicine of immortality. As your great physician, as you come to him again and again and again, is healing your broken heart restoring you from being terminal. And you know, I realized this recently, last year I guess, why it is that I resist the doctor going to the doctor. And uh, it wasn't for a visit for myself, but for my daughter. As some of you know, we had gotten a scare when it came to Ellie and her heart. After a routine checkup last year with the doctor, he said, you know, I'm noticing a murmur there, something that we need to look into a little more deeply. I want you to go to a heart specialist. And I resisted making that, putting that on the schedule for a little while, I'll admit to you, because I didn't want to go. And why didn't I want to go? Because I was worried that it would be bad news. Eventually, we went, and I dreaded the day. I saw it on the calendar. It was marked out when we were going to have to go to the heart doctor and hear what his report was going to be, and I was just preparing myself for the worst. We're just going to hear bad news. We got there, and we were just trying to, to put ourselves at ease, and she was just fine. God bless her. We went in, 
We sat down in the waiting room. As Jerry Seinfeld says, it's a terrible room because they tell you you're what you're going to be doing when you go there, right? There's no chance you're not going to be waiting because that's the name of the room. And so we're waiting and worrying and wondering. I'm thinking, this is why I don't like coming to these places. Doctor comes in, Dr. Lee. He sits us down, the big smile on his face. And the first thing he says is, I have looked at the heart you don't need to fear. He said a bunch of stuff after that, but after he said that, I was like, cool, we're good, we can go. <laughs> Imagine if every time you came to the doctor, he said, you don't have to fear. I have good news for you. That's your great physician. And the thing of it is, he's going to tell you, well, you're terminal. But I have restored and replaced your heart with mine. And there's nothing that can separate you from my love. Certainly not death. I have looked into the heart. And you need not fear. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.